0: look at the context here we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and I'm going to read the first 9 verses we're probably only going to get through 2 of them but it'll be fun 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 Finally then brethren we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you received instruct from us instruction as to how to walk how you ought to walk and please God just as you actually do walk that you may excel still more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for the pers- purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. Consequently, he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So last time we were together, um, we looked at the last three verses of chapter 3 in this book. Paul had broken into prayer, begging the Trinity to send him back to Thessalonica. He also asked God to cause that little church to abound in loving one another and other people in the same way that they had been doing, that Paul and his companions had done themselves. And it was for that purpose that Paul continues on. Finally then, brethren, and that's an interesting statement, which if I can turn the page, we'll get to. It is here in chapter 3, verse 13, we're going to look at verse 11 through 13, to kind of remind ourselves of where we were coming from. Remember the chapter and, and verse application in the Bible was added in the ninth century, um, originally they weren't there, and sometimes the chapter breaks are good. Sometimes they lead they lead to more confusion. Not necessarily here, but I want to read eleven through thirteen. So he says, "As we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God." And Father Himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you, and may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all men, just as we also do for you, so that He may establish your hearts unblamable in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all of His saints. So this is the first, the second coming. Mention of the second coming. The first time was in chapter 2 verse 19, 1 Thessalonians 2:19, for who is our hope, our joy or joy or, or crown of exaltation, is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? And then in 1 Thessalonians 3:13 we saw, so that he may establish your hearts without blame and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. He will mention the second coming again in verses 4:15 uh in verses 4:15 and 5:23. First Thessalonians 4.15, he says, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that those that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. And then in chapter 5, verse 23, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Four mentions in this book are made of the second coming of the Lord Jesus. And indeed, at the end of chapter uh 5, in and at the end of chapter 5, he will treat the subject in some detail, and when we get there, we will look at that in some detail. Here in chapter 4, commencing with the word finally, finally then, brethren, which is an interesting translation of a a word that means something like, now I'm going to quote this, but this is not Scripture, this is my take on this. He says something like, now that I have dealt with the introductory remarks, here are my instructions, close quote. This is a transition point in this book where Paul goes from doctrine to application. Now, that's not to say that there isn't doctrine in the section that's on application. Of course there is. But it's more of a pure nature before this and less of a pure nature afterwards. More of a, more of this is, here's what to do with what I just told you. Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. Adequate. Satisfactory. Passable. Sufficient. Presentable. All right. Acceptable. Decent. Tolerable. Do I sound like a thesaurus? That's where I looked this up. Reasonable, okay, respectable, competent, up to snuff, up to scratch, up to par, not bad, serviceable, suitable. So these are these are words that are synonyms with good enough. Have you ever seen that in the New Testament? Okay, you're you're there. You're good enough. You're serviceable, you're passable, that'll do. Now sit down and shut up. God never says that. What does God say about good enough? To the Thessalonians, through the Apostle Paul, we shall see that he never. He said never harbor the concept of good enough as a philosophy of life. Throughout the Scriptures, there are plenty of people who, ser- who never considered stopping at good enough in their service. Sold into slavery by his brothers, Joseph was in and out of prison in his teenage years and early 20s, having done nothing wrong at all. Maybe a little braggadocio here and there, but he never really did anything serviceably wrong that we can ascertain from the Scripture. He was forgotten, he was lied about, he was mistreated, and yet he always strove for more. Psalm 105 actually gives us a reason for all this happening. We get to see why Joseph was so treated. Joseph was sent ahead into Egypt to be the protector for Israel. And because he strove for more, he ended up in the only position that he could arguably occupy where he could be of use to Israel. And he had to get there through the pain that God sent him there through. Psalm 105, 17 through 21. He sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They afflicted his feet with fetters. He himself was laid in irons until that time, until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. The king sent and released him, the ruler of peoples, and set him free and made him lord of his house and ruler over all of his possessions. That's why Joseph was sent to Egypt the way he was sent. There are multiple other examples throughout Scripture of individuals for whom good enough was not acceptable. David, Moses, Gideon... Daniel, Josiah, the list goes on. (laughs) The life of a servant of God is not driven by good enough, but rather by a pursuit of excellence. Paul's choice of words by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit here is characteristic. He uses a word that is translated by the phrase to excel. (laughs) I exhort you, uh, I exhort you. The the word is the Greek word, perisuo, and it connotes the idea of superabounding, It means to be abundant, to exceed, to increase, to perform way over and above. uh, Interestingly enough, and I thought I actually had this comment thought of prior to hearing this morning Sunday school, but wouldn't you all like to have employees employees like that who their only thought was, "I, I haven't done enough. I need to do more. Actually, the Scripture talks about someone who's done enough. He's what's known as a unprofitable servant. (laughs) So that's the the translation. He's saying that after all our observations in the preceding words, there's no question what Paul is saying to the Thessalonians. He says, you are an exemplary church. You're living out in the Christian life the embodiment of the Word of God. You are following what Christ has, has asked you to follow. In love, in service, in giving... But we are calling you to compete with yourself and to do more, Paul said. Do better. Do the best. Do better than the best. So, is your walk with Christ today satisfactory to you? Is there no more you can do to increase your love, better your obedience, remove bad habits or vestiges of bad habits, train yourself to better service, or learn to love the brethren more? Have you achieved the nirvana of the Christian experience? And by the way, nirvana is a little town outside of Des Moines, Iowa. (laughs) You want to go there? Probably pretty cold right now. You're the best self you can be. You're the best self you can be in service to God right now. Now, of course, no one who is a careful, humble student of the Word of God would ever think this way. Paul himself admitted late in his Christian walk that he was nowhere near perfection, The Apostle Paul did. In his letter to his beloved Philippians, he reminded them of the wickedness he had perpetrated on the church before his salvation. And then he encouraged his listeners and his readers, that would be them then them in that day and us today, that though he had achieved great things and many things, he considered them useless and rubbish so that he might gain more of Christ. He spoke of stretching toward what was ahead. And that which was ahead was the upwards call of God and Christ himself. It was like he was with outstretched arms, straining towards the Christ that he loved, reaching towards him. This is what the Greek word connotes when it speaks of it. It is straining, a stretching to attain something. And that something was life, and eventually, for Paul, death in Christ, and for all of us, precede if we're not here at the second coming. Philippians 3, 7-14 bears reading. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained it, Paul said, or have already become perfect. He said that too. But I press on so that I may hold, lay hold of that for which I also was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. First Christ laid hold of him. Then he laid hold of Christ. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. There was nothing for Paul but Christ. There's no direction but up toward Christ. There's no value but the value of Christ and the blessed slavery that Paul himself experienced in service to him. And so that is what he is encouraging the Thessalonians toward. This is in some ways an antithesis of looking back and seeing what we've done and using that as a baseline to excel beyond. Paul told the Philippians that he looked back to all the things he had done very well in service to the Sanhedrin and the Jews and noted that he counted them as rubbish and ground them into the dirt with the heel of his sandal. I added that. Remember when Eve added and not even touch it? It's not good to add words to scripture unless you mention that you just added them. He published, he pushed them, the Jews, the, the Galatians, excuse me, in the other way, in the direction of disdain. Disdain those things. Stretch forward. Do more. Be more. Even that bit of personal history he uses it to spur his readers to greater heights of service to the Lord Jesus Christ. Here he uses two words to provoke. The Thessalonians onward. And by the way, the King James uses that word in Hebrews chapter 10, and I love it. We're here to provoke one another to love and to good works. Oh, Okay, I'll do that. It's a good thing. The first word is request. He says, finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you. This is a gentle suggestion that is spoken to or offered among peers. It's not a military command. It's not any kind of command at all. These precious people had already demonstrated time and time again they had their devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was asking for more of the same and better. Paul and his companions had carefully instructed the believers in Thessalonica how they ought to walk in a manner that would please God. But for a believer, good enough is never good enough. There's no such statement as... Well, that's good enough for government work in Christian service, or in this case, spiritual work. For the believer who loves Christ, more is better. Better is not enough. The best is to be achieved, or at least sought. Remember the word translated as excel means to superabound, over and above. The second word he said he uses is exhort. Finally, then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus Christ. This comes from a Greek word which means to come alongside and encourage. While it can be used authoritatively, here, in context, it is coming from a heart of pastoral love for these people. Paul is encouraging, urging, and lovingly and strongly suggesting that the Thessalonians take their walk with Christ to the next level. Remember from the first three chapters, and even here, we are reading about people who took the gospel call tremendously seriously. The Thessalonian church was a working, active God loving, God serving church. Paul is not, he's not reprimanding them. He's not correcting them. He's not changing their minds. He's encouraging them to continue and to do more. He loved the direction they were going. And yet he wants them to go further. This is always the expectation, the delightful and blessed expectation for every believer, for every slave. You know, you're a slave. You're a slave. Everybody's a slave. Scripture says we're slaves to something or the other. We're either slaves to ourselves, to the flesh, to the devil, or we're slaves to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the word slave, you know what the word slave means? It doesn't mean devoted servant. It means slave. And I'm going to read some later on. We'll talk about that a little more. Jim came up with an excellent subtitle for the book of Hebrews using the mathematical symbol for greater than, indicating that Jesus is greater than everything but more specifically in the book of Hebrews, to the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the things of the Old Covenant, the sacrifices of the Old Covenant. This is a good way of looking at what Paul is encouraging here to the Thessalonians and to us today. He is encouraging a walk that is greater than the walk they have now. This is a walk that is a blessing to him already. It's a blessing to him already. And those that worked to bring in the gospel to them, uh, the, the other workers, they were blessed by what the Thessalonians were doing. The general idea here is that believers should always be striving for more. More excellence, more devotion, more love, more. It brings to mind the old hymn, More About Jesus Would I Know. Know more, love more, and do more. It could be a motto. So this is accomplished by learning more about the wonderful Messiah we serve, and the way we learn more about him is in his word, his written testament to us which is a representation of just who he is we have everything we need to improve our service strengthen our walk deepen our relationship with the lord jesus contained we have everything we need everything we need and it's contained within the once for all delivered scriptures remember in first or excuse me second timothy 3:16 the apostle paul said this all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. You know this. You've had it in Sunday school. You've, you've heard it in systematic theologies, but I'm going to walk through it again. Remember, Peter said, I'm not ashamed to put you in mind of things you already know. Teaching is instruction, doctrine, learning, teach, and teaching. Oh, go figure. Reproof, elenchus, is refutation, reproof, Rebuke, properly, it's to convince with solid, compelling evidence, especially to expose, to prove wrong, to correct. This was one of the things that the Scripture does for us. Correction, properly an intensification of making something straight. Have any of you pulled nails from old boards and hammered them straight? Did you really think they were perfectly straight? Mine were. Although usually when I did, the, the head was still kind of cocked like this. But when you hit it that first time to connect a new board with that old nail, the head went straight. So I don't know where that came from, but hey. So this is to, to rectify something, to straighten it up, to reform it, hence to correct it, to make it suitable and useful again for what it was intended. Galatians 6, one comes to mind. Training, last word in that section, it's tutorage, education, instruction, nurture, instruction that trains someone to reach full development. These are deep, insightful things that God wants the Scripture to be used for us in our lives. So this, then, is one of the purposes of Scripture, to take novices in lifestyle and worldview and make them experts in living the Christian life. Do you, are, are you planning on being an expert before you depart for glory? Don't plan on being an expert, but shoot for it. I think I said this maybe here somewhere or somewhere else. If you're trying to make it to the moon, it's going to be difficult. But shoot for the moon. At least make it to the light post. The only way one will progress in their sanctification in this way is, in this, this direction, is to read the book. Now, what book is he talking about? Well, mine, because it has the correct page numbers. We're on page 1529, in case you were wondering. No, the Scripture. Read the book. You need to read the book, and you need to read it more. It is to leave nothing to chance, but to provide the sort of instruction that will resort in a result in a person that models the standard, which is the life of Jesus Christ. And this is not optional. Leon Morris touches on this in his commentary on this epistle. Here's what he said. If you think you can, this is an option. When a man is saved by the work of Christ, for him it does not lie open for him as a matter for his completely free decision whether he will serve God or not. He has been bought with a price. He has become the slave of Christ. Christian service is not an optional extra for those who like that kind of thing. It is a compelling obligation which lies upon each of the one of the, each one of the redeemed. It's not an option. Fortunately, there are many times in life when you were instructed to do something that was not an option, but you were not given the tools to do, it, to do it properly. God did not leave you in that position. He gave you everything you need to be the very best servant you can be for Him, to be more. And different kinds of service occur for different kinds of believers. We're not cookie cutters. We all have a different purpose. But, well, we all have different utilities in the purpose of elevating the Lord Jesus Christ. So reflecting on Paul's instruction here though he starts this section out with the word for brothers this is a this is a we're in it together section and appropriately so the word for walk that as you receive from us instruction so as you ha- as how to you ought to walk the word for walk is translated live in the King James version and this bespeaks an understanding of what Paul means here Our living is a step-by-step walk from the present into the future. Duh. We all know that. What we take there into the future from here today and how we get there is so very important. If it is instructed by the Word of God, you will take far more into the future. Finally, and although a bit out of order, Paul's exhortation farther up was, In the Lord Jesus. This is how followers of Jesus should live is what Paul is saying. The exhortation itself comes from the Savior himself, as we will see in the next verse, when Paul claims the authority of his commands, that the authority of his commands devolves, comes directly from the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2, he says, For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, of the Lord Jesus. As I was studying this, I looked up a couple of lists of commandments. Um, from the from the Lord Jesus Christ. And they varied, the ones I found, from 45 to 65. And if you put them in small enough font, they won't cover the whole front of your refrigerator. And I can see how this list was composed, and I can understand the reasoning behind the composition. For some reason, there's no such list of the, just the commands of Paul. And it's interesting that he would say this here, that his commands and the commands of the other apostles are are derive their authority from Jesus Christ himself. So I, I did a, a little bit of study, and I came up with what I think is a, a, a reasonable list that can kind of give us a flavor of what the Thessalonians would have been meditating on when Paul said this. Remember, they would have had access to his other writings. He expected, he desired and expected that his letters would be read in the other churches. So I'm sure this list is not comprehensive, but it should be representative. I'm going to kind of go through some of them so we can see what, what Paul means when he says, you have our commands. You know what is expected of you. Reckon yourselves dead to sin and yield yourselves to God, Romans 6. Don't boast that you're better than the Jews, than than Israel, Romans 11. Sacrifice your life to God, Romans 12. Think soberly. Act accordingly, Romans 12. Use the gift that you have been given by the Holy Spirit. Use the gift that you have been given by the Holy Spirit, Romans 12. Mark and avoid false teachers. Romans 16. I counted possibly a total of 36 in Romans. 36 authoritative commands of the Apostle Paul, given authority by the Lord Jesus Christ. In the church, deliver perverts to Satan, 1 Corinthians 5. Don't be an idolater, 1 Corinthians 10. Do everything you do for the glory of God, 1 Corinthians 10. Examine yourself. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight, 28, and compare Matthew chapter 5, and you'll see Jesus exhorting the same thing. Let women keep silent in the church, 1 Corinthians 14. Covet prophecy, 1 Corinthians 14. Be steadfast, immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord. Do more, 1 Corinthians 15. My count in 1 Corinthians was between 58 and 64, depending on how some of the verses were looked at. Let me explain that. Some were listed as commandments that I thought could also be listed as Facts or observations. For example, First Corinthians three eighteen. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seems to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. That's a command, but it's it, it, to me it's an observation. So, refuse to be unequally yoked with believers. Second Corinthians. Cleanse yourself from the filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Second Corinthians. Give with a cheerful heart. Second Corinthians. Be perfect. As an aside. There are two words today that kind of grind me, that people use all the time, literally and perfect. I mean, when you order a coffee from a coffee shop and they tell you, they, they say, perfect. Well, what's perfect? The coffee they're going to make, the order I just placed, even though I had to repeat it four times, you know, don't misuse words, that's, that's not in the script. Well, it probably is. I'd have to look that up. Be perfect, 2 Corinthians 13. And I counted 13 in 2 Corinthians. Stand fast in the freedom that Christ has given you, Galatians 5. Restore a brother caught in a fault, Galatians 6. Do good to everyone, especially believers, Galatians 6. There seem to be about 14 in Galatians, commands of the Apostle Paul. Stop lying and tell the truth, Ephesians 4. Learn to be properly angry, Ephesians 4. Be kind and forgiving of one another, Ephesians 4. Boy, Ephesians 4 has a lot of stuff. Do not link up with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them, Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives, Ephesians 5. Children, obey your parents, Ephesians 6. Put on the whole armor of God, Ephesians 6. There are between, depending on how you look at them as commands or suggest, or uh, observations of fact, between 25 and 29 in Ephesians Refuse to do anything through strife or vainglory, Philippians 2. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, Philippians 2. Don't murmur. Did he really tell us not to murmur? I think he did. Don't murmur and dispute, Philippians 2. Beware of those who require obedience to commands for salvation, Philippians 3. Meditate on true, honest, just, pure, lovely, virtuous, praiseworthy, well-reported things, Philippians 4. Looks like there's about 21. In Philippians. These can be their own study, their own incredible, profitable study. Mortify sin in your life. I have a memory of this one. When I was taking a Greek class, I think back in the 1970s, the teacher didn't like the New New American Standard translation where it says, consider it, consider dead, or consider, and let me look it up here. I have the very Word of God in my hand, so Colossians. Now you're going to find out if I know where stuff is. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead. He said, if you as a boxer get in... Now, this will date me, because this is who is famous at the time. If you as a boxer get into the ring with Muhammad Ali and just consider him dead, it will not go well with you. <laughs> the word actually means to make dead, to cause to be dead. So mortify sin in your life, Colossians 3. Be sure that the words of the Lord Jesus Christ dwell in you Colossians 3 continue in prayer in prayer Colossians 4 there are between 22 and 24 in Colossians and then started in, in this chapter in Thessalonians abstain from fornication chapter 4 comfort one another with the words of scripture chapter 4 do not render evil for evil chapter 5 prove all things and hold fast to those things which are good chapter 5 there are 15 it looks like in 1 Thessalonians don't be deceived by false prophets Are there any false prophets in the world today? I think they're everywhere. I mean, or, or maybe it's just that we have such instant access to news now, which means we are meddling in things that we have no business meddling in most of the time. Meddle not with strife not belonging to you. Okay. If you want to eat, work for it. 2 Thessalonians, don't grow tired of doing what is right, 2 Thessalonians, urge teachers to teach proper doctrine, which results in a pure heart, a good conscience, and an unfeigned faith, 1 Timothy, I found six in 2 Thessalonians, I forgot to tell you that, pray for those in authority, 1 Timothy, meditate upon wholesome words of scripture, 1 Timothy, honor and take care of widows, 1 Timothy, rebuke a sinning elder before all. 1 Timothy Be content with food and clothing. 1 Timothy If you are rich, be good to those who are less fortunate. 1 Timothy First, Fortunate. 1 Timothy Don't be afraid to be a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel. That's 2 Timothy. I jumped I jumped the shark here. 1 Timothy has between 25 and 27. Commit scripture and holy living to faithful men so they can teach others, 2 Timothy. Be be gentle, apt to teach, patient, meek, and a guardian of the truth, 2 Timothy. Be ready to preach the word in an instant, 2 Timothy. The second epistle to Timothy contains between 16 and 20. Another profitable study. Exhort the aged and the young to have good behavior, sobriety, charity, sincerity, and other wonderful qualities, Titus 2. Avoid foolish questions, Titus 3. Titus has 12 to 15. Have faith, Hebrews 11. Just in case Paul didn't write Hebrews, I'll just comment on the fact that there are approximately 34 to 37 in the book of Hebrews. So the total count, in my estimation, is somewhere between 263 and 287. And if you include Hebrews, it's between 297 to 324. That's if you look at some of what are listed as commands by other folks as observations and facts. In all there's plenty of instruction that Paul gave to his readers to properly walk in a manner pleasing to the father of lights. Remember the commands of the apostles. Now that is the original genuine command of the apostles that were appointed by the Lord Jesus Christ himself in 30 to 33 AD. I don't know what time of the day, but I if you know those apostles, they have the same authority as the commands of Christ every apostle again the original 11 that actually walked with jesus and later paul who was specifically made an apostle by christ himself interestingly the word for this word for commandments is used only 5 times in the new testament and only 3 times concerning commandments in the faith for you know what commandments we gave you he said acts 5:28 we gave you strict orders Not to continue teaching in this name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. This was a time when it was appropriate for the people in question to ignore the commands. This was the high priest commanding the apostles not to preach in Jesus' name. That's that word. Acts 16.24, And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. The chief magistrates of the city commanded the jailer to do this. 1 Timothy 1, 5. But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. Same word here, instruction, regarding a life of faith and obedience. This is a similar use. This is one of the other similar uses of this word in the New Testament. And lastly, 1 Timothy one eighteen. This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight. This is the second use of this word that is similar to Paul's use of it here. So I think that gives us a flavor of the breadth of understanding that Paul had and the kinds of things that he expected those who read his teachings to observe in those days and in these days. He intended for the Thessalonians, for the Galatians, for the Romans for the Philippians, for you name the church, you name the people, and us today, to understand and do what they needed to do then and to do today. These things Paul gave to his readers in first century Palestine, they carry the same weight in 2023. You almost always want to say, but they carry even more weight today because it's worse today than it's ever. No, it's as bad today as we know it is. It's always been bad since just after the first bite in the apple. It's always been bad. These commands, by the way, are a translation of the word parangelia, which reflect the same concept as a military directive. This is the kind of statement a commanding officer would give to his subordinates. The Thessalonians then, and we now, would do well not to take these commands lightly. One could say that the right response to the commands of Christ, to the commands of Paul, and the commands of Peter, James, John, and the other apostles— would constitute understanding and executing the will of God in your life. Are you looking for the will of God? It is laid out for us in black and white, and if you have a red-letter Bible, in black, red, and white. Now, with that all said about being more devoted, more self-serving, more selfless, more dependent on Christ, there's something coming next in this little epistle that is a clear expectation Paul has for the Thessalonians, and they're living in a very perverted and disgusting world. I don't want to steal my thunder from them whenever that is. Uh, when we get there, we'll talk about it. Something like today it is, though. For that reason, I want you to focus, I want to focus on just a few of the commandments that Paul gave over the years that he preached and taught and wrote to different groups of believers that will bear on what we are going to be looking at in the next section of 1st Thessalonians and that we can bring to bear on our own lives. He says, examine yourselves. That's one of Paul's, that's not said here, but that's one of Paul's commands. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. 28. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. This is a group that is living out the commands of the Lord Jesus Christ. But they would still be reading this And they should take it to heart. Thessalonians, you're doing well. Examine yourselves. Paul wants them to continually do a self-check. He wants us to do that as well. This is the equivalent of the check engine light on your car, to some degree. And it's a bad idea when the check engine light comes on to put white out over it. Who'd have thunk? It's a bad idea when God's Holy Spirit-controlled conscience that he rendered for you at the new birth is ignored. Or worse yet, clear words of Scripture. Are ignored. With the car, a computer compares the car's behavior to a certain set of established parameters that indicate a well functioning vehicle. We have that same kind of check. We can compare our lives to what it says in the pages of Scripture. And we can listen to the loving, well intended rebukes of others in our lives, other believers with whom we have fellowship. We are to come to one another's aid in these things by letting one another know if we see fault. If we happen to see fault in one of the brethren in Galatians chapter six, verse one, Paul cautions us to come with a spirit of gentleness, thinking very carefully about ourselves and making sure we're not imposing on someone some failure that can't be demonstrated from scripture. It's on our list, but I can't find it in the word of the word of God. The next command that I want to there's going to be four I believe I have here that I want us to think about that that Paul would have had the Thessalonians would have had access to cleanse yourself from the filthiness of the flesh and spirit 2 Corinthians 7:1 therefore having these promises beloved let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit perfecting holiness in the fear of god this is a day by day as i mentioned earlier mortification of the wickedness that we used to do and occasionally still struggle with the evidence of a of a growing Christian is more and more disgust with the behavior, and more and more control of that behavior day by day, providentially by the work of the Holy Spirit. This cleansing is an ongoing work that must we must prayerfully beg God to accomplish. And make no mistake, the Thessalonians had to deal with this kind of world, this kind of thing in the fallen world they lived in daily. Thessalonia was one of the centers of one of the perverted religions, and we'll we'll get to that. This is another command, and this is, for me at least, this is something that I really am trying to take to heart, something that I just don't see a lot of, I don't see any of it in the world. And it needs to be so much more evident in the church. Husbands, love your wives. Now, the appropriate thing is to follow that up with the section that talks about wives, loving their... I'm not going to do that. Husbands, love your wives, Ephesians five twenty five through 28. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present himself to himself, the church, in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought, to also, ought also to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. So see, I'm, I'm preaching, so I get to pick my hobby horses. And this is one that I just, to me, Kim and I have watched some movies, and we just, it's, it's like it's a given that the husband's going to be unfaithful. Why are you watching it? I don't know. Probably should be doing something else. Men, this is a daily precious privilege we have not only to say we love our wives, but to show them every day. This is not only a protection for them, but it is also a consistent and constant reminder of just how important and wonderful they are in our daily lives our eyes our words our heart and our mind needs to be consumed with loving our wives and then the last one that we'll talk about today meditate upon the wholesome words of scripture 1st timothy 4:15 He says in in this translation, he says, take pains with these things, be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. Now, the Thessalonians' progress was evident. It was evident to Paul and the uh, other missionaries that went there. This is something he would still encourage them to do more of. Finally, one of the commands Paul gave to his young charge is a most important and timely one for people in any age, his young charge in this case being Timothy. The Greek word translated pains is translated as meditate upon in the King James. The idea is to revolve them in your mind, turn them over, ponder them. It is God's Word and God's Word only. Not real or fake revivals, not real or fake experiences, not real or fake you fill in the blank. It is God's Word and God's Word only that offers the direction of the progress that God intends for us, for each believer, by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit, to conquer the sin that the Thessalonians then and we today struggle with. And we'll see one of those sins in the next section when we get to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. <laughs> Scripture is replete with similar commands and, and encouragements. To repeat myself, do more. And in closing, the Old Testament says it this way. Psalm 92, verses 12 through 15. (laughs) What does it take for a... That's not Psalm 92, that's me. What does it take for a tree to flourish? You just plug it in the ground and leave it alone. Well, maybe some tree somewhere, but for the most part, me, if I plant a tree, I better baby that sucker for the next 20 years or it's going to die an awful death because I have no green thumb. God never does that. When he plants, he waters, he preserves. Psalm 92, 12 through 15, The righteous man will flourish like the palm tree. He will grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still yield fruit in old age. That's an encouragement. They will be full of sap <laughs> and very green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no righteous, unrighteousness in him. That's what we will do as a result of that flourishing. We will declare that the Lord is upright, he is my rock, he is, no, he is full of righteousness. And then Proverbs 4.18, what the Old Testament says about doing more. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. Keep at it. I know your life, many of you in here, if not most, your life is hard. Jesus promised, though, And and you will see where I was going with that, that fruit bearers would bear even more fruit. He said in John 15, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. And doesn't this line up with what Jim has been speaking about in these last few weeks? The discipline that God brings into our lives to make us more productive, more useful, more of a blessing to others and to him. And finally, yeah, really, finally, I'm on the last paragraph. See, I only have one page. Peter echoes Paul's encouragement in 2 Peter chapter 3. No, Dave, I didn't steal any of your thunder. He says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So 2,000 years ago, Paul was requesting and encouraging a young church that was remarkable in its dedication to the Lord Jesus Christ to do more to love more, to go beyond and work out their salvation in new and remarkable ways, serving the Lord in greater and greater ways, more. That encouragement still stands. The blessing of the Holy Spirit empowering that still accompanies believers today. So what is stopping us from doing more? Nothing. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church.